Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. You know, in this uh, episode, I want to really continue uh, the discussion from la- the last uh, around fiscal transition. We'll you know get an update on some of the things happening in the environment, uh, but they're you know really uh, it warrants sort of a continued reflection on the uh, specific part of the environment where we're we're talking increased debt, increased rates, kind of a bad combination uh, for the medium to long term. Uh, something we're going to need to work through. Uh, so let's get into it. We, we've talked a bit, though. Let me start with uh, the, sort of the geopolitical environment. You know, we've, we've seen, uh, obviously, the very tragic uh, invasion of Israel by Hamas and now uh, Israel's response to that. Uh, we've seen other uh, tensions and, and actions, if you will, in terms of geopolitics, in terms of a a big uh, summit that occurred in, in San Francisco of world leaders and meetings, therefore, between world leaders, including President Biden and Pre- President Xi, bringing into focus, basically, that we're in um, a world where, on one hand, uh, countries and uh, groups of allies are basically competing for each, for each other uh, and uh, competing with each other, excuse me, and and basically uh, also the tensions that might come from that. And so, you know, as it relates to the work we do in geopolitics, we do uh, develop and manage a, a risk dashboard that identifies things like U.S.-China competition, uh, the Middle East tensions, which really are now conflicts, uh, the risk of gridlock in D.C., we'll talk about that in, in a moment, uh, things like you know tensions in the South China Sea and the potential for military conflict, and um, and then uh, you know are things changing in the world to to affect uh, you know the idea that inflation, for example, could be higher for much much longer. And again, that's just a handful of examples. But yeah, I just want to uh, sort of provide a brief update on the war um, between. Uh, Israel and Hamas. I, I'd say that uh, that first scenario we talked about in the last episode, which was that the, that the conflict would stay limited to the area, mostly between those two parties, is so far panning out. You know, we've seen a little bit of friction and activity uh, in terms of Hezbollah making trouble, but we haven't yet seen um, the the worst case scenarios we talked about, where Iran gets more actively involved or uh, other world powers get more actively involved. So it's 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 a tough situation. It's a, a human tragedy uh, wise, a, a horrible situation, uh, but it has remained reasonably focused. And I'd say that the, therefore the economy and the markets have uh, honestly just kind of looked past it. Everybody's a little bit worried, but um, you know that it, I guess the the point being that attention turns to other things as well. And so let's get into that a little bit. You know, uh, we talked uh, last time about this idea of increased debt and, you know, basically what we've seen for quite a number of years now, certainly almost uh, triggered in some ways uh, in terms of expanding this uh, by the financial crisis, but basically the federal government spending a lot more money than it's taking in, so operating on a uh, meaningful deficit, and that's caused uh, federal debt to really uh, explode. 
And that financial crisis date uh, is an important date because structurally interest rates were, you know, what we might have considered normal prior to the financial crisis, but they've been kept artificially low since the financial crisis until just recently. In any event, the other thing with that low rate environment, as we've discussed, is that we've seen that big buildup in debt. So the that fi- uh, fiscal sort of deficit spending for the government uh, has increased our debt by uh, over twenty three trillion dollars since the financial crisis. And when you look at you know the the uh, the uh, consumer household debt uh, up over five trillion, and then uh, company debt up over $8 trillion, so the, the, the business side of the economy. So altogether, $37 trillion. And, and honestly, you know, I've talked to colleagues, like we'd be talking about a financial, a fiscal transition, even if interest rates weren't going higher, right? $37 trillion is a lot of money, and it keeps going up. And, and so the need to kind of manage that, even when interest rates are low, is kind of tough. Uh, but boy, what the the sort of the uh, kicker has been that we we've seen interest rates move higher. So to review those numbers, the ten-year Treasury, for example, averaged five percent in the decade before the financial crisis, averaged two percent in the decade after the financial crisis, and we're as low as on average one point two percent during the pandemic. We look today, and basically, certainly, the market's expecting for roughly the next twenty years uh, for the ten-year to be. Um, uh, roughly at or above four percent, or yeah, at or above four percent, getting as high as five percent, and so think of it as back to the pre-financial crisis norm, and and those interest rates get reflected in the uh, interest rates that uh, that debt holders um, uh, or debt issuers have to pay uh, to to raise debt, right? So the cost of debt is going up and we've seen forces at work that are keeping yields higher uh, so this idea of the downgrade in the u.s debt that happened um, you know essentially the fed hiking rates of course which we'll get to in a moment and then um, and then sort of just the, the idea that an investor wants to get paid more to hold longer term bonds also um, you know, we've seen sort of uh, worries about softening demand of buying uh, treasury bonds. So if fewer buyers are in the market, then basically they have to increase yields to attract people. Now, there are forces maybe that would uh, drive uh, market rates lower, things like Fed rate cuts, which are expected in 2024. Um, and it may be a sign, signs of a weakening economy that could trigger that even more quickly. Or the idea that people start to gobble up at these higher rates, they start to gobble up these bonds. Uh, so maybe buyers, more buyers step in if there's stronger demand, then that, that marginally could uh, bring rates lower. But you know, I think the punchline here for, for the topic is that we see interest rates higher for longer. And when we look across the three components of the economy, as we talked about last time, the consumer is going to need to deal with that. And we're going to be seeing trouble on the edge that we have to work through. Businesses are going to have to deal with that higher cost of debt. We're going to see troubles on the edge that we'll have to deal with. Both of those patterns are sort of the way the economy works. And, you know, uh, sort of weak people, maybe uh, in terms of their finances, maybe they declare bankruptcy or they have to cut spending. Uh, in, individual businesses could either not launch a business they otherwise would if, if debt was cheaper, or they may in turn default on debt, which could be problematic. So the, think of it as pain 
uh, happening and the system flushing out trouble. Uh, and ultimately, I, I like to think of it, though, being an optimist that when we get to the other side of it, things are stronger. Uh, the federal government's a, a slightly bigger problem, right? We have this political environment that's supportive of a deficit-oriented approach, and that means the, the debt just keeps growing. And so what we're going to see is the cost of debt becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger part of our budget, uh, which really, in, in a lot of ways, is not sustainable, and it's going to end up affecting voters. Uh, and so we think the way the government issues get resolved is voters start to rise up and, and sort of demand of our elected officials to get this into focus. And in fact, when you look at what's happened in D.C., uh, really with the ousting of, of Kevin McCarthy and, and then some activities just uh, in the last week, last few days, where the government's extended uh, its uh, spending uh, through early 2024. Basically, this is going differently than it's it has recently because there are factions, especially in the House, of... Um, uh, of uh, elected officials that actually want to focus in on this and, and essentially get back to a more disciplined uh, approach of managing the budget. And, and I'm not saying, hey, this is solving the problem right now, but I think it's notable that there are, there are people uh, pushing for that. It's becoming more familiar in the public domain to the individual voters. And it's, we, you know, it's decent chance. It'll be a, uh, kind of a key focus, for example, when we get to the election next year and beyond. So anyway, that's, um, as it relates to the fiscal transition, just that's something that is, we've talked about, uh, is in keen focus for us and, uh, and will, will, uh, continue to be in focus for us for some time. Now, turning back to some of the other economic activities, um, as we've, as we've gone over in, in previous episodes uh, over the last year or two, with the Fed hiking rates, basically they're trying to orchestrate a slowdown. That could be a slowdown in the economy. They mostly want to see the labor market, um, uh, loosen a little bit. And, um, and essentially until very recently, everything's held up pretty well pretty firmly. And so uh, I do want to point out, though, in this last retail sales report, basically we saw finally a, a small decline. So sales, retail sales, that's the consumer activity, have been operating at a much higher than normal level over the last few months, but it, it cooled and kind of uh, turned negative. It sort of declined uh, recently, which again is one data point, but that's something that we're watching kind of closely. Another thing that we saw was a little uptick in jobless claims. So the labor market has loosened some, but it's still much tighter um, than what the Fed would like to see in terms of inflation coming down. Uh, we've seen, as I um, as we've talked about, you know, like a much better than expected economy in 2023. And so all the negative forecasts, this idea of slowing down is being pushed out into uh, this quarter, but more importantly, into 2024. And yet most uh, experts that we track have taken the idea of inflation, or excuse me, recession off the table. There certainly are still firms that expect a recession, but about a number are saying, no, we're going to get through this with a truly a soft landing and, and kind of into a new cycle without going through uh, a, a recession. Now, um, part of that is driven by the idea that inflation is starting to cool. Uh, the markets, uh, so investors are expecting inflation to cool down towards the Fed's 2% target. Um, I would say consumers are still worried, so their views are uh, inflation is going to stay a little more sticky. But in the most recent um, 
consumer and producer price index reports, basically we've seen uh, a real cooling. And so the consumer price index um, is basically uh, uh, flat, um, so 0%. And uh, I think the core was up 0.2, which is very close to the, to the monthly equivalent of the Fed's 2% target. Producer prices actually declined in the um and then the core rate, uh, and, and all this relates to uh, energy coming down, the core rate uh, was basically flat. So we're seeing a little bit of evidence that inflation is cooling again, which is uh, welcome news. And that's caused uh, the market, uh, so think of it as Fed fund futures, to signal that the Fed's done hiking rates. And, uh, and in fact, we'll start to uh, cut rates, call it, you know, I know, second quarter of 2024, for example, is uh, sort of what the Fed futures is signaling. Now, one of the things we do is we track uh, all kinds of components of inflation. What I would just say is that generally speaking across the board, things have gotten better. So, you know, if you look at a color heat map, which I happen to be staring at, you know, all kinds of different components basically have turned green, meaning things are better. And so uh, not, that's not true fully across the board, but things have gotten a lot better, uh, which, which we view uh, as positive. Now, all of this is fed in the last couple of weeks uh, to a market that's rebounded a little bit. Um, so, you know, very round numbers. If we look at the equity market for 2023, uh, let's say the S&P 500 is up just over 20% through the end of July. From the end of July through I want to say it's October 27th. It was down not quite, but almost 10%. And, uh, and since then, it's recovered to not quite, but almost uh, 10% or up 10%, almost 10% uh, since that October 27th date. And this most recent move uh, up is, is driven to a good degree uh, by this cooling inflation, a good degree to sort of a sense that the Fed may be done uh, and, and in turn, market rates, the 10-year um, in that sort of negative period, it reached 5%. It's fallen down to roughly 4.5% last I looked. And, uh, and so that you know, easing of market rates is still elevated relative to that 2% average I mentioned a moment ago. But just that incremental um, move has uh, sort of buoyed the, the equity markets. Um, now, the one thing I'll say... Uh, which we've talked about before, is that the equity market performance this year has been concentrated in bigger uh, company uh, names. So you know, think of it as the big tech stocks that um, that uh, uh, have been driving it. And um, you know, essentially, when we look at, let me just uh, pull up and, and describe uh, four four examples. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. They make up over 20% of the S&P 500 on a cap-weighted basis. The S&P is up 19% year-to-date when we link those three uh, periods I mentioned together. Those four companies represent or combined are contributing 90% of that positive return. And in fact, when we look on an equal-weighted basis, you know, basically the uh, the S&P on an equal weighted basis, you take out the effect of the big companies, is up about 4.4% year to date. So uh, the market's been kind of focused and concentrated. We, we do expect it to widen out, uh, but that's an important sort of pattern that we're seeing. We're in an environment with that recovery where the cap weighted indexes are just a little bit at a premium. They're a little bit overvalued by certain price earnings ratio measures. But again, when we look equal weighted, on average, stocks are still a little bit cheap, a little bit operating at a discount. 
Um, I, I will mention a couple other things. Uh, number one, yields remain high. That means for people putting more money to work in fixed income, it's, it remains a good environment. Uh, number two, um, you know, we are um, here in November of 2023 starting to see the election for 2024 increasingly come into focus. So oh, certainly for our outlook uh, work that we'll, we'll share in January, we're going to get into almost like our, our typical framework uh, for the elections. So we last time, and we'll do it again this time, we broke it into four phases, early primary, late primary, the general election, and then post-election. And we're going to be watching how things are unfolding, but also how markets are reacting to that. And so that framework will c carry through uh, for, for this election cycle. As it relates to other work we do, I'll just take the opportunity to reinforce that we do so much of our work focused on the long term. So I'd encourage people uh, to visit stiefelinsights.com, check out some of our work in that regard, especially our our report on long-term investment themes. Um, and so with that, I want to thank you for listening uh, to this episode. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're coming closer to the end of the year. We'll have one more episode here in 2023 in December, uh, and then look forward to that outlook-oriented focus in January. Thanks again for, uh, very much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.